Welcome to The Great Podcast, a show where we take a look at the important men and women of history and decide once and for all if they are worth all the fuss. I'm Jordan. And I'm David. Welcome back. It hasn't been two months, I swear. I'm good at doing my Don't job. Look at the date. It's, it's not important. But what is important is today we are going to be doing something a bit different. Because the show so far has pretty much been we look at an important or interesting person and maybe gloss over one or two other people who were in between. But now we're in what we will call the crisis. I guess it's not we will call. History calls the crisis of <laughs> right. the third century. It is called. It is <laughs> called. Uh, and it's, um, let's just say there's not a lot of very interesting or important people along the way. Chaos. So we're going to cover lots of them today with no particular focus or deep dive on one person. Cool? Ready. Cool. Let's get into it. So last time, we saw the misguided and blissfully short reign of the young Elagabalus. The teenage emperor had been wholly devoted to his son god, Elagabal, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. he was obsessed with sex and luxury. That's right. I mean, teenagers. What are you going to yeah. do? His debauchery and flamboyant femininity had quickly turned everyone against him, even his close relatives. His grandmother, Julia Mesa, did her best to keep the lad in line, but there was only so much she could do because, again, teenagers. The power struggle continued in the palace until Elagabalus and his mother made their move to oust Mesa and her top supporters in government. As we saw last week, this plan backfired, and Elagabalus quickly found himself being forced to adopt his young cousin, Severus Alexander, as his son and heir. Ah, yes. And there was only about a four-year age difference, so... Father and son, very close to the same age. All teenagers, it's great. Yeah. <laughs> Resentful of this arrangement, Elagabalus started up the rumor that the young Caesar was dead or dying. We're not sure. Alexander was not seen in public for a short while, and the people, and most importantly, the Praetorians, started getting antsy. The guards demanded to see the Caesar in their camp at their shrine to Mars, which was an insult to the emperor, of course. But what could he do? The men with the pointy things are hard to ignore. After spending a stressful night in the Praetorian camp, Elagabalus lost his temper and ordered some of the guards to be arrested for disrespecting him and cheering for Alexander. This was the breaking point, however, and Elagabalus and his retinue soon found themselves hacked to pieces. Oh, yes. Good times, good times. This included his mother. Severus Alexander was then declared emperor, the second young teen to ascend in a row. Good times. Well, the first one went so well. Let's get another one in there. And Nero before him. You know, all good times when teenagers become emperor. Teenagers with absolute power. We all know it's a recipe for success. Mm -hmm. So this is where we shall begin today. And like I said, we're not going to deep dive. Uh, We're going to gloss over lots of people as we traverse the beginning half of the crisis of the third century. Mm. So since we're not going to have our normal rating... We're going to do something a little different, and I was going to grab a notebook, but again, I'm not good at my job, so I'm looking around for something to write on. I found one. It's on the floor over there. So, since we don't have someone specific to rank and do stuff, we're going to play a game where at the beginning of each emperor's reign, I'm going to ask you how long they you think they will reign and how you think they will die. Oh, man. And just as a heads up, no one dies a natural death. <laughs> <laughs> well, I can't imagine. All right, so Alexander Severus, he's about 13, and he just came to power with his mother and grandmother essentially at the head of things. How long do you think he will last, and how do you think he will die? I'm going to go with exactly 13 months, 
and he's going to be poisoned. 13 months and poisoned. Yep. Okay. Good. There we go. We got that written down. So let's begin. Uh, as I mentioned, we're talking about the crisis. So I'll give you a quick rundown on what that really is in terms of history. It's roughly a 50 year period where the empire was brought to its knees. So far in our show, we have been living in the Pax Romana or the Roman peace. After the civil wars of Caesar and Augustus, the empire was mostly peaceful internally. We've seen a few blips like the year of the four emperors and the year of the five emperors, but these were brief and stability was quickly restored. But these happy times are coming to a close. As we saw last time, the troops have become restless. You'll remember during Alexander's reign, there was, or excuse me, Elagabalus's reign, there were a bunch of just popping up, I'm emperor, no, I'm not, no, you're not, blah, 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 mm -hmm, and everyone mm -hmm. was dying and killing each other. Mm -hmm. Troops are declaring their uh, generals emperors with alarming frequency at this point. And something is happening out in Parthia that we will talk about soon that does not bode well for the Romans. But let's look at our new boy emperor. Alexander was the cousin of Elagabalus, son of Julia Mamea. He was around 13 years old when he ascended, but fortunately did not have the same temperament as his predecessor. Where Elagabalus was brash and expressive, Alexander was calm and studious. He did as he was told, to a fault. Oh. The one doing the telling was his mother. Julia Mamea and Julia Mesa, his grandmother, ruled in his stead from the word go. To please the Senate and help the lad learn about administration, a council of 16 respected men was set up to guide the young emperor. On top of this, the best tutors in the world were brought in to educate him. These tutors had been an issue uh, during Elagabalus's reign, and he had banished some and executed others to try and uh, limit Alexander's popularity, <laughs> which uh, didn't work out for him. Yeah. Julia Mesa did not live long into her second grandson's reign, however. In 224 CE, she passed away. She had helped lead the Severan dynasty back from the brink after her sister had died, but now it was in the hands of her daughter and grandson. The following year, Mamea arranged for her 16-year-old son to be married. So, you were wrong about how long he lasted. <laughs> no, no, <laughs> no, I'm gonna hold on. All right, sounds good. The lovely young woman was Salustia Orbiana, and Alexander could not have been happier because you're 16 and you just got a great bride. Right. Good times. The two got along very well, but Mamea was not so pleased. See, Mamea was, let's say, controlling. Very controlling. She wanted all the titles and all the money and all the power. But in getting her son married, she had lost herself the title of Empress. Well, yeah, naturally, this coupled with a good old case of mother-in-law from hell led to Mamea kicking Salustia out of the palace a couple years into the marriage. No good. This was a grave insult to the young woman and her family. Her father was so offended that he made a terrible mistake. He went to the Praetorian camp to voice his complaints. Oh, boy. Which sounds kind of like a coup. Potentially. How do you think that played out? I don't know. We're in crisis mode. Maybe it went well for him. Maybe a coup happened. <laughs> no. No. <laughs> uh, Mamea took this as treason. Well, yeah. And yeah. ordered the father executed and the daughter exiled to Africa. Meanwhile, Alexander voiced only the yeah, tiniest. Like, this dude just over here like, oh, no. Yeah. Uh, please no, don't. No, no. Oh, because okay. as we discussed, he did as he was told. <laughs> God. 
Around this same time, the man put in charge of the Praetorians, a man called Ulpian, who was a jurist, lawyer, speaker, Mm -hmm. was doing his best to implement some reforms. See, the guards had gotten back into their bullying ways, as has happened each time a weak leader has been in charge. This was going on during Elagabalus's reign, too. Just kind of being dicks to everyone Mm -hmm. in town. The people of Rome were getting pretty sick of it. At one point, this tension erupted into widespread violence. Some altercation grew into a fight that then went on for three days. Civilians fought Praetorians through the streets of Rome. Soon, the poorly armed civilians took to the rooftops to toss down stones and roof tiles. Seeing no logical way to get them to come down, the Praetorians decided to light the buildings on fire. As one can imagine, the fire spread, and soon everyone was just desperately trying to save the city. Except the Praetorians, who were like, cool, job well done. Don't, like, projectile weapons exist? Not many, and you certainly wouldn't have peasants with a lot of them. No, 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 no. Oh, instead of burning the buildings down. Got it, yeah. (laughs) Maybe, but I I said they couldn't find a logical way. Burning made the most sense. No. (laughs) It got them off the roofs. Did yeah. it not get them off the roofs? I love all the collateral damage and the rebuild and the now more money to rebuild. Yeah, but that's not the Praetorians' problem. You're right. You're they right. were just tired of getting stones thrown at them. Yeah. After this unrest was quieted, Ulpian ordered the arrest and execution of the two men beneath him, whom he viewed as the instigators of the riots. What do you think their reaction was to this order? The Praetorians. To, to, what, to, what, to what? What was the order? To execute their two oh, leaders. Oh, of the peasants? Of the Praetorians. Oh, they probably didn't like it. No, not at all. The guards decided that if someone needed to be executed, it was this dude, Opian, who keeps trying to tell them what to do. Sure. Yeah. He made a run for it and got all the way to the palace and uh, still had the guards hot on his heels. <laughs> he burst into Alexander's rooms and begged for protection. Now, the young emperor threw his imperial purple cloak over Opian's shoulders and ordered the Praetorians to stand down. He had the protection of the emperor. Now, the guards back down, chastened by the boy and ashamed of their actions. Just kidding. Sound right. Just kidding. Yeah. Just kidding. They murdered Opian they probably right don't there. don't have any respect for this kid. No. Yeah. Uh, they cut him to pieces, and the men who had, only a few years earlier, cheered their new young emperor had now made it clear that he had no power over them. Mm-hmm. Great. Though Alexander and his family could not openly execute the men responsible for this egregious action, he did pull a fast one on one of the main instigators of the riots. He offered him a promotion in Egypt. Oh. (laughs) And as soon as he was on the boat, he slipped and fell and broke his neck. They hate all that happens. Or something. We just... Something happened. Yeah, you know. Who knows? Accidents. It's crazy. It's a wild world. Yeah. So, the emperor's power was questionable. But on the whole, the government was running well. As Herodian put it, quote, After Alexander's accession to power, he possessed the trappings and the name of emperor, but the control of administration and imperial policy was in the hands of his womenfolk, who tried to bring back a complete return to moderate, dignified government after Elagabalus. Sure, his mother was slowly building herself a small hoard of money off confiscated lands, but she assured her son that this wasn't about her getting rich. I don't know. This was about keeping the troops happy, Mm. providing a nest egg should they need it. Mm. Yes. And there were still small revolts going on. Everyone was a little testy, but things were ticking along. But out in Parthia, something big was happening. For centuries, the Parthians had been a thorn in the side but Mm -hmm. almost always came out the losers in whatever conflict the Romans had with them. 
the capital of Tessaphon, you may recognize the name, has been sacked on multiple occasions by Roman armies. The latest attacks had come from Severus and Caracalla, who took lands from the region and helped destabilize their neighbor, neighbor empire. We won't go into too much detail about this because we have a lot to cover, but the Parthians were not the dominant ethnic group in their domains. Parthia was made up primarily of what was previously the ancient Persian Empire. Think Mm -hmm. movie 300, Xerxes, Mm -hmm. all that. During the turmoil caused by all the incursions and other internal issues, one Persian nobleman, Artashur, started to gather men and lands to his cause. He conquered his neighbors and soon became powerful enough to challenge the Parthian king, Artabanus. Artabanus? Artabanus. We'll go with that. Artabanus had recently overthrown his brother, and as often happens in civil wars, he found himself in a pretty weakened state. Yeah, you just had a bunch of infighting, and now, oh look, the two armies are one very weak army now. Yay! Yay. So when Artashir began his war to overthrow the Parthian government, Artabanus had little to offer in response. The Battle of Hormuzdgun that's some perfect consonants that are in weird orders next to each other, was fought on April 28th, 224 CE. That's around the same time that Alexander was coming to power. And Artabanus died. This would be right around the time that Alexander was becoming emperor. See, I wrote it down. Perfect. Artashir then spent the next few years solidifying control over his new empire. And it would not be the Parthian empire any longer. From the ashes of the Parthian Empire emerged the reborn Persian Empire, Mm. commonly known today as the Sassanid Empire, pretty much so that we can distinguish between the ancient and more modern. Fast forward a few years and gather around the table where Alexander and his mother sit with those 16 senators of the emperor's advisory council. Imagine their shock and horror to hear that this new king of kings had just marched his armies right into the Roman Empire. And not just into the recently conquered lands taken from the Parthians, Artashir has marched possibly as far as Syria, deep into the eastern half of Roman territory. Fun. Now, you might be shocked to learn that Alexander was not a military man. Probably not an anything man, really. Well, that's actually, glad you say that. He is actually a young man by this point, and he's around 22 years old. We've we've gone a ways. His first attempt at resolving this Persian problem was to send an offer of peace to Artashir. Many took this as a sign of weakness, but Alexander was not simply sending envoys. It is inferred from the coinage we have of this time that the Roman army was mustering since the previous year and road repairs were underway to allow troops to march eastward with greater efficiency. Once the peace offers were rejected, as was expected, Alexander set out at the head of his legions. The governors of the eastern provinces demanded his presence, and a foreign invasion unlike anything seen before was not the time for the emperor to be hanging out in Rome. Mm -hmm. We don't have time to go into the nitty-gritty of this war. Plus, much of what we know is disputed between our sources, and it's hard to know the facts. The gist is this. The fighting was tough. Both sides won victories and suffered grave losses. By 233 CE, Alexander had pushed the Persians back across the border and from his base in Antioch set out with three columns into enemy territory. Alexander himself led the center column, but for unknown reasons, he remained stationary and was lethargic when his force did move. The northern column found great success, walked right through enemy territory, just pillaging and taking everything they wanted. 
But Alexander's delays resulted in the Southern force facing off against the main Sassanid army alone. That's not great. It did not go well for them. Yeah. At the end of the campaigning season, Alexander and his bedraggled army returned to Antioch. Both sides were feeling the effects of this war and had just about enough of it. But Alexander was still in the process of rebuilding his army for another invasion when news arrived that was really annoying. There are two frontiers in the history of Rome that caused the greatest headaches. The eastern border with the Parthians and then mm-hmm, the Sassanids. Mm-hmm. And? The, well, like all the, well, barbarians, I suppose. Yep, the Rhine and the Danube yeah, frontiers yeah. around Germany. As Alexander prepared to finish his defense in the east, word arrived that the Germans had pushed into Roman territory in force and overrun several forts. Some sources say that Alexander was actually in Rome celebrating a triumph for his victory Mm. against Ardashir when he got this news, but we don't know. Remember the last time the Romans had pulled troops from the Rhine frontier to invade then Parthia under Caracalla and then Macrinus? The primary concern of these troops was that they were being pulled away from their families along the Rhine and leaving them exposed. Well, here we are. (laughs) So by 234 CE, Alexander had amassed his troops along the Rhine. He had basically there was like a we haven't signed anything. but We both agree that the war in the east is on hold because we're both tired of it. Just time out. Time out. Yeah. Kid on the playground, not Mm -hmm. wanting to lose the game. Right. So. He amassed his troops along the Rhine. They used pontoons to make a bridge and then crossed into barbarian territory to exact a little revenge. But Alexander was also sending envoys to the German leaders with offers of cash to stop the fighting. This might have been wise policy or even a delaying tactic that made sense. But as per usual, the troops were not too happy about this. Alexander had tried a peace offer with Ardashir. After the empire was invaded, then Alexander had acted as they saw it like a coward on the battlefield and resulted in a third of the army getting destroyed. Now he was offering money to the men who had sacked their homes and raped and killed their families. It was almost intolerable. As Herodian puts it, quote, in their opinion, Alexander showed no honorable intention to pursue the war and preferred a life of ease when he should have marched out to punish the Germans for their previous insolence. Now, as I have mentioned, the troops had been unruly for the majority of Alexander's reign, but they had always been far away when they declared someone else emperor. One guy in Alexandria had been declared as Alexander was marching east, but Mm -hmm. he fortunately drowned himself and (laughs) we didn't have to have a civil war about it. Now, however, the upset troops were all around the emperor and many of them viewed him as a weak Oh, viewed him as weak and wished for a strong man to take his place and lead them to glorious victory and vengeance against the Germans. The man they chose was Maximinus Thrax. What a name. It's a dope name. That's a great name. So Gaius Julius Verus Maximinus was an experienced soldier in his late 50s, serving along the Rhine frontier uh, under Alexander. He was born sometime around 173 CE in Thrace, which is in northern Greece and where he gets his nickname Thrax, which is dope. That's fair. Yeah. It is believed that he was some level of farm boy, basically a peasant. He was not a citizen at birth either, but he was large. The Historia Augusta, which we do not rely upon, claims he was around eight feet tall. This is almost certainly not true. But he was a huge man, especially for his time. 
we have a friend who's six foot ten. And if that man was like, hey, I'll be your emperor, I would say yes. (laughs) (laughs) One source also claims that he rose through the ranks of the military despite being almost illiterate. And one piece of the Historia Augusta that's just fun to mention is it frequently mentions that he punched horses unconscious. What a move. This is straight up the mountain from Game of Thrones. Yes. Think that. <laughs> think that. His his busts are intimidating, even though he's an older man. It's like, wow, you're big. Yeah, that's wild. Regardless of the truth of any of these rumors, the soldiers decided that this brute of a man ought to be their emperor. And so they proclaimed him. It's speculated that Thrax knew this was coming and put on the usual performance of, oh, no, I couldn't. I couldn't possibly. Okay, fine. If you insist, uh, let's go take care of Alexander real quick. When news arised of this, arrived of this insurrection, Alexander had a near mental breakdown. Herodian says, quote, he came rushing out of the imperial tent like a man possessed, weeping and trembling and raving against Maximinus for being unfaithful and ungrateful, recounting all the favors he had been showered upon. He that had been showered upon him. I can't read today. These troops. Oh, I can't read those troops around Alexander promised to remain loyal and defend him to the end. But when the group of killers arrived, they stepped aside and let the men pass. Quote, trembling and terrified out of his wits, Alexander just managed to get back to his tent. There, the reports say he waited for his executioner, clinging to his mother and weeping and blaming her for his misfortunes. (laughs) And yes, in case you were wondering, Alexander's mother has been with him this entire time. Well, yeah, she's the one in charge. Yeah. Hovering over her 26 year old son as he led his nation through war. And she would go down with him. The men burst in and slaughtered everyone who remained loyal to Alexander. And thus, the reign of Maximinus Thrax began in 235 CE. So Alexander had ruled for around 13. You said 13. And I was like, say years. You said months. <laughs> 13 <laughs> we years. We're almost there. Yeah. Perfect. And he did not die by poison. He died yeah, by stabbing. Poisoning by sorts. Yeah. Lead know. poisoning. Yeah. Just metal. All right. It's pretty good, all things considered. Uh, I will give you this heads up. That's the longest we'll see. Yeah, I figured it would be shorter. That was surprisingly long. So up until the Persian War, everything had kind of ticked along for him. It just worked. Mm -hmm. But the sources agree that Alexander was a weak leader, easily manipulated by those around him, especially his own mother. And it is at this point that many historians draw the line for the beginning of the crisis. Uh Ah, Now, how long do you think Thrax will last, and how do you think he will die? Oh, man. So Thrax gained power by just straight up murdering the emperor. Mm-hmm. Um, at, the, at the behest of the legions along the, the Rhine. in the middle of war. Mm-hmm. I'm guessing the new Persian Empire is going to get ready to build up and come back in. Uh, I, I, I'm going to go again. Not more than a year. Okay. I mean. So less than a year. Yeah. All right. He's probably just going to be assassinated. Not even assassinated. Just killed. Just, just murdered. I mean, but, murdered again. All right. We'll need a little more. Sp- who's Who do you think will murder oh, him? God. The next general emperor. Next general emperor. All right. <laughs> and then the next general that says, no, I'm the emperor. Fair. Okay. <laughs> so we got less than a year and he'll be killed by the next general or his troops. Cool. Yes. So. Thrax was the lowest born emperor ever. 
While he was not the first military man to seize control of the imperial power, he was the first to come from origins beneath that of even an equestrian. Remember that a few years ago, when Macrinus took power, it was like, can an equestrian become Mm -hmm. emperor? That Mm -hmm. doesn't make sense. But Thrax had the love and support of his troops, mainly because he was one of them. He had joined the Thracian auxiliaries way back in 190 CE and climbed through the ranks. He had likely served directly under Severus and possibly Caracalla. Then he went with Alexander out east to fight the Persians. Finally, Alexander had placed him in charge of the new recruits for the German offensive. He was a strong, large man with military experience. In other words, the exact opposite of Alexander, who was meek and obeyed the orders of a woman. How dare he? So the men proclaimed Thrax emperor, and the Senate was then informed of the new regime. Yeah. Thrax did not much care about the opinion of the old aristocrats back in Rome. Because, hey, what was the Senate going to do about it anyway? As it turns out, many of them would try to do lots of things to stop this giant peasant emperor from maintaining his hold on power. As a new military emperor, Thrax pushed forward with an attack against the Germans across the Rhine. Mm-hmm. Shortly after his ascension, he built a new pontoon bridge and crossed the massive river. The first attempt by the Senate to get rid of him was supposed to have happened at that crossing. The plan was pretty simple. Wait for Thrax and his soldiers to cross the river. Cut the ropes. Boom. Now you're stuck ah, on the other side of the Rhine. Across the river. Ha <laughs> ha. You know, blowing raspberries at him. However, this plot was uncovered and Thrax made it very clear how he would deal with insubordination and treason. Just beheading. This is how Herodian describes our new emperor. Quote, he was conscious of the hatred against him for being the first man to rise from the most humble origins to such a fortunate position. But by his birth and normal behavior, he was a barbarian. <laughs> possessing a little bit of racism here, possessing the bloodthirsty temperament derived from his ancestors and his country, he devoted himself to strengthening his rule by cruel actions. Nice. All those involved in this plot and those in, suspected of involvement were ordered executed without trial. Oh, yeah. Good times. Get him out of here. Shortly after this, a unit of archers from Mesopotamia, who had been quite loyal to Alexander personally, planned to elevate another friend of the late emperor. However, the ringleader of the plan, i.e. the guy who said, hey, friend of Alexander, you should be emperor, seems to have switched side and murdered the guy he said, hey, you should be emperor, before it could unfold. That's because he heard what happened to the other plot, and I was like, oh, never mind, I'm going to back that up. Back He's like, track, oh, track. Uh, you know what, maybe I'll go be... I'll go. Sorry, man, I'm going to kill you. I got to kill you. I he thought about you. brownie points. He's oh, like, oh, I can is. go tell Thrax now about this plot. Well, and gain some brownie points. Well, How do you think just, that turned out? He's just going to kill you too, man. Yep. Yeah. So when the traitor went to Thrax with the news of how he had stopped it, mm-hmm. uh, Thrax saw a spineless little bitch. Right. And so he executed him for being a, quote, false friend, <laughs> which is just nice. <laughs> so that all sorted, Thrax set out into the German swamps and forests and began his campaign. He fought the Alamanni tribe uh, primarily, doing quite well despite heavy losses. And after thrashing this tribe, Thrax took the title of Germanicus Maximus. Germanicus Maximus Maximinus Thrax, which is a mouthful. It's a lot. It's a lot of <laughs> and titles. also raised his son Maximus to the rank of Caesar. Oh, okay. And just because he was a hopeless romantic, he also deified his late wife. Oh, what a nice guy. Which is so sweet. Next. Thrax set out for the Danube frontier to deal with those troublesome tribesmen. Soon, the Dacians and Sarmatians were also getting a classic Roman ass whooping. The troops were super pumped and uh, 
very happy to finally mm-hmm. have mm-hmm. an emperor who could get things done. Okay. You know who wasn't happy about Thrax's reign? Oh, the Senate. Everyone the else. The rest of Rome. <laughs> <laughs> no one else really liked this guy. There's a handful of reasons the German tribes had never properly been conquered. One of them was that it's crazy expensive mm-hmm. to maintain that level of invading force. Yeah. Especially yeah. with the rest of the border also needing to be manned. But Thrax had a solution for this. Corruption. Easy, easy. The order of the day was to extort as much money out of as many people as he could. Just take more money. There's plenty of money. Yeah. You just got to give it to me. Just take it. It's fine. Higher taxes were ordered, but it would never be enough. So instead, treasury officials would go around and bring false charges against wealthy people. Oh, good. Back to this. Yes. Back to this. And then confiscate their wealth. Now we're going to claim all your things. Easy. Herodian goes into detail about rich men being out on the streets within a day because of some informer saying, hey, this guy did this. Boom. You're in court. All your money's gone. But this is also how you portray anyone you deem as a tyrant. You say they took everyone's money on a whim and for no reason other than to satiate their own greed. So he was doing this. We just don't know if it's quite as bad as the sources claim. Well, I don't know if I'd say it's to satiate his personal greed. Right. He just wanted to continue fighting. Right. <laughs> totally reasonable. Guys, give me your fortunes. Thank you. But there is an interesting quote from the translator of my copy of Herodian that I thought was very telling. It is no coincidence that the emperors who most successfully maintained the frontiers, i.e. Severus, Caracalla, and Maximinus Thrax, also had to rely on confiscations to pay the bill. There was just no other way to do it. Love it or hate it, to secure this troublesome border, every successful leader had to do dubious things. Mm -hmm. Everyone Mm -hmm. just hated Thrax a lot more than they hated Severus. I will note that I don't recall um, Marcus Aurelius having this issue, and he fought for like 15 years along this border. But he was also at the peak of the Golden Age. So... So this hatred for Thrax and these administrators would boil over in a place that we don't often talk about too much in Roman imperial history because it's often calm and peaceful, North Africa. This territory is where ancient Carthage had been in the days of the Republic and is now a wealthy province, province, centuries in the imperial fold. In one of the cities uh, of this province, a few wealthy young men found themselves about to be stripped of their properties by one of the treasury's bullies. Edward Gibbon, the famous 18th century historian, says the men managed to get themselves a three-day grace period, during which time they gathered their friends, families, and slaves, and armed themselves. Oh. They approached the administrator and stabbed him in his retinue to death. <laughs> yeah, just said, said, no, we're not no, doing this. we're just going to kill you. Yep. Gonna... Easy. You can't take my money if you're dead. That's true. Then they declared their governor emperor. Oh, here we go. Good. This was Gordianus. Known today as Gordian the First. Gordian, oh, the first. Well, I mean, maybe that's good for him. <laughs> we shall see. <laughs> yeah. Gibbon says this quote Gordianus, their proconsul, and the object of their choice as emperor, refused with unfeigned reluctance the dangerous honor and begged with tears that they should <laughs> suffer him to terminate in peace a long and innocent life without staining his feeble age with civil blood. Their menaces compelled him to accept the imperial purple. He's <laughs> like, please, no. Like, no, no, Guys, no, no. please. Why? Why, man? It's a, cool down here. 
I'm 80. Oh my God, <laughs> yeah. he's 80? His, his age was a significant problem. He was 80. Oh this was God. This proconsulship of the nicest province in the entire empire was yeah. his retirement. Yeah, That's he was chilling. <laughs> yeah, just big chilling. <sighs> he had been a very distinguished senator throughout his life, which earned him this wonderful reputation where everyone was like, yes, Gordian, let's go. Now he was a usurper against the giant peasant emperor who had shown no mercy to traitors. Because someone said, hey, this guy, he's this the emperor. Him. I want him. No, not me. <laughs> Please don't. <laughs> it's not me. So he knew he couldn't do this alone. All that to say, <laughs> he said he wanted his son to join him. Ah. So that's Gordian II. Okay, there you go. So well, they became joint emperors. Now, we have multiple emperors good. going at the same time. We've got three of them going. So Gordian I and the second. how long do you think they will last? Oh my gosh! And how well, will they die? Well, let's see. They're in northern Africa, mm-hmm. and Thrax is what in the northwest, northeast, He's northeast. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Isn't East where the Germany is northeast Italy. of Italy? Yes. It's going to take a while for the civil war to really get going. Mm-hmm. Like two and a half years. Two and a half years. All right. And how will they die? Gotta give one for each. Uh, Gordian the first is just gonna like he's gonna trip on a pebble trip. and just like fall over. Just okay, yeah. Die. Old age, break a hip. Die. Got it. Yeah. Good. And then Gordian the second. Gordian the second is is going to uh, die fighting Thrax hand to hand. Okay. All right. Thrax hand to hand. Okay. Good. 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 So the Senate hears about this, right? They get word pretty quick. And they're like, hell yes. Screw Thrax. That's right. We're going with Gordian. Plus, this was a great opportunity for the Senate because these are former senators who would probably bring them back into the fold. Thrax doesn't give a shit what they think, but Gordian probably would. Right. So they declare for the Gordians. Many governors around the empire sided with the Gordians when they heard this news. Because like I said, very few people Mm -hmm. like Thrax. The father and son entered Carthage to thunderous cheers by the people. The rebellion was off to a great start. But there was one guy who wasn't too chuffed about the Gordians becoming emperor. And it just so happened that this guy was the governor of the western neighboring province of Numidia. So think North Africa, where like mm-hmm. Tunisia is, mm-hmm. west, okay. Morocco and stuff. Yeah, yeah. This guy had a personal beef with Gordian and he was an ardent Thrax supporter. Oh boy. Oh, and he also had the only legion in North Africa under his command. Oh, well, that doesn't bode well. It's no. not going to take that long, then. Huh? No. <laughs> no, it won't. <laughs> so before Thrax likely even knew about the rebellion, this governor was marching his troops east towards Carthage. The Gordians had no troops. Yeah. None. Why would they? Yeah. So the younger Gordian did what he could to gather up random men from the city and set out at the head of this army oh man and i am sure you will be shocked to learn that they lost dang gordian the second died in the fighting along well, with pretty much right. everyone you almost you said hand to hand with thrax i was I like did. you were so close you, did. you were so close horrified at the news of his son's death gordian the first decided to end it himself and he was found hanged in his rooms when the soldiers arrived that all took about three weeks oh well <laughs> you're, you're doing it man you're getting it there's too much chaos here. It's yeah. too unpredictable. It's like it's a crisis. Yeah, it's too- 
Okay, so now let's take a look at all of that from Thrax's perspective. He's fighting tribes across the Danube when a messenger arrives and says, hey, the Gordians just declared themselves emperor and the Senate sided with them. Thrax probably started turning his army around right as the second messenger arrived to say, hey, you need to give the governor of Numidia a raise. Also, we should probably go slaughter the Senate. <laughs> also, we should probably <laughs> just go kill all the Senate. Yeah. And so that's what he set out to do. Good. And now that the Senate had declared themselves an open revolt, they had no choice but to get themselves some new emperors. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Like the good old days of the Republic, they decided to elect two men from their ranks to serve as joint emperors and stave off the giant peasant who was, at this very moment, marching toward Italy. These men were Balbinus. Balbinus. Okay. And... Poopy anus. Why? <laughs> Why? Why are we back yes. to this? Yes. <laughs> back to this. Yes. And that is that is how you say his name. It's not even like poopy anus. It is it is actually ah. poopy anus. What a guy. And I love that so much. What a guy. Makes me very happy. <laughs> so, how long do you think Balbinus is gonna last? Oh, there's two of them. Um, these guys are both like senators. Right? Yep, you and I'll let you know chose. that uh, one's in his 70s and one's in his late 60s. Oh, man. Yeah, they, they don't like young people. <laughs> well, yeah, they want to change things. Uh, I'm going to, man, I'm going to guess they're somehow going to die before Thrax even gets to Italy. Okay. Oh, man. Someone, a, a Thrax loyalist is going to assassinate Poopianus. Okay, Poopianus dies of assassination. Yep. Okay. And uh how long? Oh man. We're going to give him 8 weeks. 8 weeks. All right. 8 weeks. Okay. And then uh uh the other guy, he's just going to he's just going to fall down all the stairs <laughs> at the palace. Okay. It's a lot of stairs. He's he's not going to survive that fall. Okay. Fall. And uh how long? That's like 3 weeks in. Three weeks. You know, he was okay. getting too excited. Great. Sorry. All right, wonderful. Okay, so Balbinus <laughs> is going to fall down some stairs in three weeks. Poopianus will be assassinated in eight weeks. That's right. All right, cool. Yep. So, and I already told you they're eight. Good. So, a uh, crowd gathered and threw insults and stones at the men <laughs> who were preparing to save all their lives. That's These people funny. were not happy to have two patricians in power. The two men were not altogether popular with the plebs. The people had been super excited for the Gordians. That mm -hmm, was actually mm -hmm, good news mm -hmm. to them. Um, they loved and respected them both. With that feeling in mind, they demanded that a Gordian be in charge. Damn it. Aren't they dead? You know? They are. Just... Now, the Senate and the two emperors thought the same thing. Yeah, they're like, they're oh. like guys, they're dead. <laughs> I don't know what you <laughs> <I> want. <can't. laughs> but then someone found someone oh you just listen you're gonna be a gordian now okay nope, they had one oh they, they found, actually they had actually one found a gordian wow <laughs> the elder gordian <laughs> had a grandson in rome okay i really thought you're about to say this is the elder i'm like dude was 80 who's, yeah. <laughs> who's elder what do you mean his dad his dad actually is <laughs> still alive it's crazy so they had this younger gordian who was 13 oh. who they were like okay compromise Poopianus and Balbinus are going to be emperor. One. <laughs> Gordian will be Caesar. Okay. Can you stop throwing rocks at us, please? <laughs> and so we now have a Gordian ready as 13-year-old Caesar. Another one. Good. We love how that usually plays out. There. Yeah. That settled, the Senate organized the Council of 20 to help the emperors prepare their defense against mm -hmm, Thrax, mm -hmm. 
who in early 238 CE was just crossing into Italy and approaching the important city of Aquileia. Okay. Which is in northeastern Italy. That makes sense. It does. It all it all maths out. Mm-hmm. Pupianus set out from Rome with what few men he could muster, while the Council of Twenty set about blockading roads and ports to cut Thrax's legions off from resupply. Balbinus, meanwhile, was staying in Rome to maintain order. My theory is all coming together. It's all coming together, dude. <laughs> but it was Aquileia itself that was causing the big emperor so much grief. He expected to walk straight into the city, but he found its gates closed to him and its populace all too willing to withstand a siege. Hey, go away. We don't, we don't want <laughs> we don't you like here. You. And so a siege was laid. Yeah. Within two months, Thrax's men were growing tired of this. They had been off fighting the Germans for nearly three years. And now what were they doing? Invading their own nation and dying to take their own city from fellow Romans? Plus, Thrax was a man of short temper and was making his fury known to his men, whom he blamed for cowardice and insubordination. Why can't you guys take this Just stupid city? Just go there. Just, I don't care if they're dropping boiling oil on Just you. walk in. I go understand. in and take the city. <laughs> As one would suspect, the men reached a breaking point. Several Praetorians from Rome met up with some of the legionaries and together marched into Thrax's tent, where the giant emperor and his son were slaughtered. Oh, I wasn't expecting that. Neither was he. (laughs) (laughs) Right? (laughs) Thrax had reigned for just over three years. And you went with less than a year. I did. I really thought there was going to be a lot more infighting quickly. Yep. He just had all the armies with him, so it it took a little longer. So, the heads of Thrax and his son were cut off and rushed to Ravenna, where Pupianus was mustering his troops. Okay. Once the emperor had proof of his enemy's death, he disbanded his new fighting force and ordered the legions back to go protect the frontiers, guys. Yeah, man. Keep Just the go. <laughs> the heads then moved on to Rome, where the people celebrated now that the threat was over. Pupianus entered the city a short time later, and great celebrations were held. But this feel-good time would not last. Remember, the people hadn't liked these two new emperors, Mm -hmm. and neither had the Praetorians. Now, the two were bickering about which one of them would be superior. Balbinus, because he was more politically experienced, or Pupianus for his long military career. Pupianus had brought back a detachment of German auxiliaries who were personally loyal to him. And naturally, Balbinus feared that he was going to use them to seize power by force. Meanwhile, Pupianus was disheartened to see that Balbinus had failed to maintain order in the capital while he was gone. Disappointing. It was a disappointing time. But that wasn't all his fault. The Senate had factions working to install their own person in the purple, and these two old farts were now in the way, so everything was just kind of not playing out in their hands. Then one night, Pupianus approached Balbinus with grave news. A group of Praetorians was rushing the palace. Oh, He demanded the Germanic troops be called in to defend them, but Balbinus assumed that this was a trap and refused. This all gets a little confused. Germanic troops? Yeah, the ones that Pupianus brought back with him. Oh, I was like, they're so far away. What do you mean? (laughs) These were just the auxiliaries. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah. But it is kind of confused how Balbinus would have a say in whether or not the Germanic troops that are loyal to Pupianus could come help. There was the sources were a bit confused about who was calling what. Is sure. I also wouldn't be surprised. He's in power. I mean, right. He's just needs demanding to, a thing. Yeah, needs yeah. to call for it, too. So as these two argued, the Praetorians burst into the room mm. and dragged them out. Good. The men were stripped, 
pulled through the streets back to the Praetorian camp, where they underwent a good bit of torture, having their beards and eyebrows ripped out and their bodies, quote, mutilated. And maybe pushed down some stairs. I'm sure they were pulled down. (laughs) When you said it, I was like, you know, I bet the Praetorians pulled them down some stairs. By now, the German troops had heard what was going on Mm -hmm. and began rushing to the camp. Oh, well. So the Praetorians heard that and decided that they should probably stop playing with their food. (laughs) And Balbinus and Pupianus were mercifully killed. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, Mercifully, for sure. In their place, the Praetorians quickly declared the teenage Caesar Gordian. That's right. The new Gordian. Get him in there. Gordian the third. is he, like 14 right now? 13. He's still 13? (laughs) Yes. Okay. Well... He is, in fact, the youngest sole emperor ever. <sighs> Yay. Oh, and Balbinus and Pupianus had reigned for about 99 days. Okay. And this is why 238 CE is known as the year of the six emperors. The Woo! six emperors. <laughs> yeah, we had the four, five, and now six. Yeah. One, it's good two, times. three, four, five. The sixth one. He's here. He did it. He made you were, it. You know, you were pretty close on Pupianus with eight weeks. It, it would have been yeah, about was, 12. Yeah. Yep. I'm getting there. Yeah, it didn't go well for them. I really thought those stairs were going to do him in sooner, though. Yeah. He was probably really careful about that. That was the one thing that he was really cognizant of. Was like, okay, there's a lot of other things going on, but I'm not going to fall down these damn stairs. That's fair. I get it. So let's talk briefly to note on our sources from here on out, because this is where they stop existing. Mm. Dio's tale, Cassius Dio, ended during Alexander's reign, as did Dio himself. He lived to be around 70 and died around 235, same as Alexander. Now, Herodian's telling goes a little further, and it ends with the death of Balbinus and Pupianus and the accession of Gordian III. Little is known of who Herodian was. It is speculated that he was Syrian, possibly from Antioch. He was likely a civil servant working within the imperial government. He claims everything he wrote about happened during his lifetime, and it is believed that he was an old man during Gordian III's reign. And that's all we know, and it makes me sad. Yeah. This also means that from here on out, we really only have the Historia Augusta to rely upon, which is not reliable. The Historia Augusta claims to that it was written by six authors near the end of the crisis during the reigns of Diocletian and Constantine, names that we would do well to remember. But modern thinking is that the book was written by one person in the 4th or 5th century, well over 100 years after the events described. Oh, okay. And most of it is complete nonsense. The only reason it is anything more than a silly footnote in historical research is, be- is it's because the only Latin source we have from the time. Everything That's else is wild. just... It was just gone. Fragmentary yeah. records and... Burned yeah. and destroyed. Or written much later. Through all the chaos. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. This makes it a bit easier to research because I don't need to like cross check things, <laughs> but right. it also means we don't have anywhere near the amount of detail. And I don't want to just be like, yeah, the Historia Augusta says because mm-hmm. it's nonsense. So Gordian the third in mid 238 CE, Gordian became the 13 year old emperor. How long do you think he will last and how will he die? The people wanted the Gordian. They did. They wanted him. Yeah, they sure they did. got him. Let's see. How long is he going to let? We're out of that. We just finished the year of the six emperors. He is the sixth. Yes. That's right. Okay. So he's going to last. He's going to last like six years. Six years. Cool. He's going to last six years. And he's going to die fighting the Persians. Fighting the Persians. Mm Mm-hmm. 
Perfect. Okay, so let's take a look at our boy. Being so young, Gordian would certainly have had someone else running the show right, right. off the bat. We do not know who was in control at this time. One source mentions his mother, but we don't even know who she was with any level of certainty. Soon, however, a man named Gaius Furious Sabinius Aquila Timesistheus. There we go. Timesistheus. Well, I'm going to call him Guy Fieri. Guy Fieri. <laughs> <laughs> In my notes, I have him mainly listed as Timmy. <laughs> so, Guy Fieri, or yes. Timmy, uh, stepped in as the primary regent for this mm. young emperor. Now, Timesistheus has been moving about in our story for a while now, just as our standard equestrian working his way up the ranks. We know that he was a prefect of the cohort, either under Severus or Caracalla, and then later a financial administrator all the way out in Arabia. Okay. So he's wow. kind of been everywhere. He might have played a part in Macrinus's death, Macrinus being the guy that followed Caracalla, as he was a loyal Severan man. He then continued climbing the ranks of imperial administration during the reigns of the next several Severans, Elagabalus, Alexander. Thrax kept him around because he was so good at his job that he could not afford to lose him. This was when Thrax was trying to get every cent out of every pocket to fund his campaigns. And Timmy was really good at financial administration. Once Gordian III was in power, our boy Timmy was being declared the, quote, best of patrons up in Gaul because the people loved him so much while he was in charge that they even made a massive inscription about his career, which is why we know so much about him. This prestige and past experience were enough to put Timmy back in favor with the imperial court. And with Gordian in desperate need of guidance, Gordian married Timmy's daughter and soon after appointed Timmy as Praetorian Prefect. This role was now more admin than military, but Timmy was great at both. Okay. Yeah, it's like, dudes... Dude's a financial guy. Yeah. And he's in charge of... Okay. He started out in the military, but then everyone's like, wow, you're really good at everything. Wow. Good for him. Yeah. Great. So we have someone in charge who seems capable of the job and who is not a giant peasant with the lust for war. Mm -hmm. But this is the crisis. So let's look at how it all falls apart. Firstly, in the fateful year of 238 CE, not only did we have the year of the six emperors and a failing economy brought about by constant warfare along the Rhine and the Danube, we also had the first appearance of the Goths. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I know them. This Whoa. tribe. Yeah, me too. I was like, I know them. Do I? Well, I know Do I? of them. Yeah, they, yeah, they, they, the they ride horses, familiar. I think. Yeah. This tribe moved in from the east and joined along in the fighting near the Danube. They will be here for, oh, let's say the next 300 years. Yeah, it was a while. Yeah, a while. they are a problem <laughs> for a long time. Some earthquakes had also hit around this time. So it was kind of like living in the 2020s where everything just could not help but fall apart. <laughs> and it was right around this time that an envoy arrived to inform Gordian and Timmy that the Persians were invading again. There we go. I knew it was coming. Yep. So last time we saw this new Sassanid empire under... Alexander. Ardashir had solidified his position and invaded the Roman East. After a close campaigning season, both sides went, okay, let's just time out. We're going to take a, a breather here. This was close to a decade ago by now. Mm -hmm. And the Sassanids were ready once again. And they began their push when the son of Ardashir took the city of Hatra. If that city sounds at all familiar, it's because Trajan and Severus had both failed to capture it during their respective invasions of Parthia. 
Now, this Sharpur, the son of Ardashir, did what those great generals could not. Sharpur was, at this time, serving as co-regent alongside his father, who was getting pretty old. With his army in tow, he marched into Mesopotamia to push the Romans out once and for all. Timasetheus quickly set about mobilizing troops to push back the invasion in 241 CE. Along the way east, the legions fought off the Goths, who had crossed the Danube before pushing on into Syria. <laughs> Over the next year and change, the two sides duked it out. The conclusive battle came in 243 CE at Rasena. Shapur, who was now Shapur I, ruling as sole ruler after his father's death, was defeated. Several major cities were recaptured by the Romans, and plans were made to push for the capital of Tessaphon, the old Roman tradition. Mm -hmm. We sack Tessaphon. It's what we do. Plans for the invasion had to be put on hold, however, as our boy, boy Timmy, Guy Fieri, the one holding it all together, suddenly fell ill and died. No. Yeah. No. This guy really could have saved everything had yeah. he stayed alive. It was, uh, it was all looking good. It was all a dream, a fairy tale. <laughs> just a dream. But we'll never know. As a point of reference for how cool Timmy is versus Gordy in the third, uh, Wikipedia has pages on pages on pages on Timmy. Gordy in the third's entire page is 10 paragraphs. Yeah, that sounds right. That's it. Obviously, the Romans needed a moment to regroup after the death of their commander-in-chief. Mm -hmm. Fortunately, by this point, the emperor was with the army, so no one was going to be able to just declare themselves and then march back. I mean, they could. They might be it's able to. It already happened. We'll, we'll see. We'll see. <laughs> so first things first, a new Praetorian prefect was needed. The man chosen was Marcus Julius Philippus. He was selected partly because he was worthy and partly because Timmy's co-prefect was Philippus's brother, Priscus. How cute. Brothers working together. Next in the order of things was to inform the Senate of how well the army had done and to celebrate a triumph. Yay, Gordian, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you did it. Finally, plans were drawn up for the following campaign season to continue the attack on the Persians. So what happened in 244 CE out in the east is a great mystery. Sparse sources and being far from home will do that to record keeping. But we will go with this. The Battle of Misish, I'm not pronouncing that correctly, which is near modern Fallujah, Iraq. Okay. At that battle, the Romans suffered a terrible defeat. At that same time, Gordian III died. Dang it. The Sassanid version claims he was killed in the battle himself. But it's too early. No. You're pretty close. Oh, okay. Hold on. We'll get there. <laughs> so the Sassanids said that they killed him in battle. Mm -hmm. And that is mostly the accepted version today. Other thoughts are that after the defeat, the army was frustrated with their 19-year-old liege. Seeing his position becoming insecure, Gordian demanded the troops choose between him and their other option, Philippus. Why would you do that? <laughs> Why? Yeah, that gamble Why? didn't pay off. Why would you do that? Whatever the truth... The emperor was dead, and the men were deep in enemy territory. Nice. Died fighting the Persians. Just shy of six years. That's what I'm talking about. That I'm one's give almost perfect. That I'm going to give you a check on perfect. that one. Yeah. Six years, possibly died fighting the Persians, if not died right after losing to the Persians. I mean, he was in a campaign against the Persians right. when he died. Yep. So Well done. <laughs> Proud of you. So, now we've got this boy, Philippus, out with the troops. Good old Phil. 
How long will he last? God, they're How deep in die? enemy territory. Deep, yeah, deep in enemy territory. We're gonna give him. We're gonna give him six months of trying to fight out of enemy territory. I don't want to give you spoilers, but that that sounds. There's a different guy later that that exact oh. thing happens. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. So also fighting the Persians. He's not gonna die fighting the Persians. He's gonna one of his men's gonna kill him to okay. save himself. Okay. His men because they'll get an offer. They'll get an offer from the refuse. Persians. Couldn't refuse. Yeah. All right. So his men kill him. That's right. Six months in. Cool. So Philippus today is known as Philip the Arab because of probably where he came from. Makes sense. But he was an intelligent man. Mm-hmm. He had seen the fall of several military emperors and set out to avoid their mistakes. The biggest problem for men like Macrinus and Thrax was they never went to Rome to assert themselves. Macrinus oh. had tried after waiting a while, then mm-hmm, he died. Mm-hmm. Thrax only went to Rome to conquer it. Didn't pay off for them. So to do this, he needed to make peace with Shapur. He couldn't just right. leave. The war was not going too well for the Romans now because of this major defeat, mm-hmm. but it had been going well prior. So the Persians had suffered a lot as well. And like the last time, they were both kind of just like, can we just maybe stop? No, don't stop. You have to kill him. Yeah, not going to happen. You have to kill him. The terms were not great, but Philip managed to maintain some of the captured lands. However, he gave up Roman influence over Armenia and agreed to pay 500,000 denarii to the Sassanids plus an annual indemnity. Not popular. No. Mm -mm. But that's settled. Philip put his brother Priscus in charge of the east while he rushed back to Rome with Gordian's ashes. Ah. Once there, he announced the emperor had died from illness. Mm. Yeah, which is why him. it's all so confused about. I don't believe him. I think he's just trying to I think he's just trying to save face for the peace. Yeah. I also want to point out uh I didn't write any of this in my script, but Gordian the 3rd is probably one of the saddest emperors cuz he was like an orphan who was then thrust into this yeah. against his will right. and then died out doing something he was not ready to do. For sure. It was really unfortunate for him. The Senate, though, obviously deified Gordian III, and a grand funeral was held. As mentioned, this time period is really spotty on details. We know that Philip left Rome shortly after his return to head back to the Danube frontier, because the Danube was never calm during the 3rd mm-hmm. century. The Carpi and the Goths were invading again, and Philip would spend the next couple years fighting them in the Carpic and Gothic Wars. So you, you didn't get it on this one. Dang it. By 247 CE, Philip returned to Rome victorious. Meanwhile, in the east, his brother Priscus was doing everything he could to piss everyone off. (laughs) Good. (laughs) Taxes were extremely high, and his rule was severe. This led to a revolt, which was swiftly put down. However, Priscus then just disappears from the historic record. We have no idea what happened to him. He's just not there anymore. Just gone. All right. Now, unlike his brother... Philip did his best to rule in a way that would not piss everyone off. In particular, he went back to the old ways of treating the Senate with respect so they wouldn't try to overthrow him. That seems fair. Yeah. Yeah. Also, sometime in here, the Armenians decided that they didn't like Shapur, and so the East was once again uneasy. Mm. But Philip had something more important on his mind around this time. Ludi Seculares. This was the 1,000th anniversary of the founding of the city of Rome. Oh, boy. Got to throw a big party. 
huge. Mm-hmm. Accounts claim that over 1,000 gladiators died in the Colosseum, along with hundreds of animals, which seems like underkill from some of the other celebrations we hear about yeah. earlier, where they're like, 10,000 dogs yeah, were slaughtered you know. and 50 lions, you know? But either way, big celebration. It was huge. Imagine, I imagine that this was a great relief to the people who were like, thank God something good is happening. Sure. This yeah. has been rough for a while now. <laughs> But Philip could not celebrate for long. The Danube legions had risen up and declared their general oh emperor. Oh my God, why? Don't worry about it. They killed him a short time oh, later. Okay. So another one would pop up and that one took some time to put down. But then two others rose up and they fell almost as quickly. So yeah. But this guy's doing a good job. Yeah, it doesn't. That's irrelevant in the, in the crisis <laughs> period. Like genuinely, that is irrelevant. I just don't care. So hoping to keep the Danube legions in line, since they had risen up twice in a very short period, Philip sent the respected senator Quintus Decius Valerinus. Valerinus? See, when I write these, they they sound, I know how to read them in my head. And then I say them out loud for the first time to you, and I go, huh. So Quintus Decius Valerinus to govern Moesia and Pannonia. Now, this seems like a pretty foolish thing to do. Remember... Caracalla had ensured no governor had control of more than one legion. Mm-hmm. Well, now Decius had several legions right. and legions that were already willing to rebel. Decius quickly defeated the Goths, who were still causing a ruckus. This was a big deal because the Goths were seeming like an unstoppable horde with limitless men and horses. The troops, as was now tradition when victory was won, declared Decius emperor. Yeah. Of course they did. Of course. <laughs> The only thing left to do was to march on Rome. Yeah. Philip went out to meet the usurper, and despite Decius trying to talk terms with his former ruler and being like, maybe we can split it, the two sides were soon fighting in the Battle of Beroea. Beroe? One of those. Mm. It was in this battle that Philip the Arab was killed. Darn. Or maybe his troops killed him after the battle was lost. We don't know. When news reached Rome, Philip's 11-year-old son, who had been named Co-Augustus years earlier, was killed by the Praetorians. Oh. Philip had ruled for five years. Darn. Yeah. He got out of enemy territory really quick. He did. He, he got that piece. But he did get killed by his own men, potentially. Yeah. I just want you oh, to, right. you know, in two years when we get to that other guy, just remember <laughs> that I said, yeah, that one couldn't get out of there. <laughs> so... With what little info we know of Decius, you might think that he's just another Thrax or Philip. You know, just, I have the troops, I'm now in charge. It doesn't seem like that, though. But he, he wasn't a military leader in, in the same sense as those two. While he did take power from being at the head of a legion, he was far more known for his political career than his military one. So how long do you think Decius is going to last, and how long will, and how will he die? Oh, man. He's got the Praetorians on his side. So I think Rome is probably going to be at least relatively accepting. Mm-hmm. He's going to, he's going to, oh man. They just put down the Goths. I don't know. Persia's probably not quite a threat yet again, but soon maybe. I don't know. I'll give him, I'll give him, I'll give him four and a half years. 4.5 years. Uh-huh. And how will he die? He's a political man. So he'll be, he'll be assassinated assassinated at in rome mm-hmm. okay from some other political adversary who's gonna take the power perfect okay 
So he was a distinguished senator who was born in the Balkans, the first emperor to have this distinction. He had been consul in 232 CE, then governor of Moesia, Lower Germany, and Hispania. When Philip came to power, he was the urban prefect of Rome. So he had Mm, plenty of experience leading from the civil side. Like Philip, he knew he needed to head to Rome to consolidate his power. He spent several months there between the end of 249 and the beginning of 250. While there, he took on the nickname of Trajanus or Traianus, I'm not sure, uh, after Trajan. While there, he began works on the Baths of Decius, which would be completed in 252 and survived well into the 16th century. The Colosseum also needed some work because it had been struck by lightning for like the 10th time. It just keeps (laughs) happening. In 250 CE, Decius did something that has marked him as a villain in history. He persecuted the Christians. Sort of. Kind of. Oh, sort of. The decree that he issued called for all citizens, which meant pretty much everyone in the empire since Caracalla had granted citizenship to almost everybody. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Everyone needed to perform a sacrifice for the emperor by a certain date. And this sacrifice needed to be overseen by government officials. That's not going to go well for the Christians. Yeah. They don't do that. Yeah. This wasn't necessarily an attack on Christians as Decius likely just wanted to instill some unity in the unstable empire be like, Hey, you know, the empire's strong mm-hmm. sacrifice to your emperor and everything's going to be okay. The gods are on our side, but Christians simply could not follow this order. They could not make sacrifice to quote false gods. That's right. And eat sacrifice, Blasphemy. sacrificial foods. It is. Um, so they were like, I don't know. So those Christians who refused the order were subject to torture and execution. Oh. While this decree was not enforced evenly across the empire, there are plenty of Christians who were just kind of like, okay, maybe we, you just go over there and we'll pretend like we're not doing this. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Carthage and Alexandria, two of the biggest cities in the empire, saw a lot of anti-Christian violence. And this is like people just being like, you know what? Fuck you guys. Yeah. The most famous martyr of this decree was none other than the Pope himself. Oh, wow. Pope Fabian. Yeah. It is unclear how Fabian died, but it was either in his prison cell or via execution by the state. So not good. This wasn't a good time to be a Christian at all. And though Decius' decree did not seem to be specifically targeting them, they drew the short end of the stick. Mm -hmm. Either you went against God and did the sacrifice or you risked punishment. But Decius didn't really have time to think about the plight of the Christians because shortly after this decree, the Goths invaded again. Yay! Because this is the crisis and those bastards aren't going away anytime That's soon. Right. This time, they allied themselves with the governor of Thrace, oh. who declared himself emperor in opposition to Decius. Everyone. Everyone. You get an emperor. You get an emperor. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Thankfully, he died soon after. Decius headed out to the front to then fight the incursion off. The war was still ongoing in 251 CE when Decius got word that another usurper had risen up, this time back in the capital. Mm. He had the backing of the people and the Senate, which was not good. Oh, the guy in the capital. Yeah, the usurper had all the support he needed back in Rome. Thankfully, this usurper was quickly taken care of by a man that we will get to know quite well next time. Valerian. I like the name. Me too. Valerian is a sick name. But we're not there yet. Decius was still out on the Danube fighting the Goths. And though the war was going well, things were about to take a terrible turn. He and his son, who was co-emperor at this point, were pressing the attack when disaster struck. Oh, boy. 
A quote about the father and son duo from Aurelius Victor's Book of the Caesars. Quote, Very many report that the son had fallen in battle while pressing an attack too boldly. That the father, however, had strenuously asserted that the loss of one soldier seemed to him too little to matter. And so he resumed the war and died in a similar manner, fighting vigorously. So, dang it. Both emperors died fighting the Goths. Decius is often marked as the first Roman emperor to die in battle against a foreign army, which assumes that Gordian III did not die in battle against the Sassanids. It's a lie. Yeah, because Jordan said it. That's right. So, Decius had reigned for a few months shy of two years. Oh. Yeah. A lot happened. A yeah. lot happened in that time. Jeez, mm-hmm. okay. The way you were talking, I was like, oh man, he reigned for like eight years. Yeah, yeah, but there's just always war. It's crazy. Yeah. So many emperors popping up. Well, it's now mine the, now. Well, and now the question is, who's who's next? Well, you said Valerian. Not yet. Oh, we're just going to get to know him later. Yeah. Whoever. Oh, no, he killed that usurper. Oh, man. You haven't heard this guy's name yet. So Obviously not. It's going to be some other random senator, general, someone, governor out in the... Nah, I am the emperor now. Correct. <laughs> Trebonianus Gallus <laughs> oh was the governor of Upper Moesia from 250 CE, and so was right there in the thick of the fighting against the Goths. He was mm. with Decius. And like Decius, he had a distinguished senatorial career and had been consul. Perfect. Now, the men of the legions declared him emperor because... Why not? Who else? Exactly. There's no one else. Some later claimed that the Gothic trap that caught Decius and his son was set by Gallus, but most historians don't believe that. To help keep the peace during the regime change, Gallus appointed Decius's younger surviving son, Hostilian, as co-emperor. Basically to say, I I didn't do it. That's right. I will co-rule. He's too young to do it himself, but he will be co-emperor, and my son will be Caesar. That is... That's a nice move. It was. It was very smart. So, let me mark this down. So, we've got Gallus. Mm Mm-hmm. And, and normally we wouldn't, uh, you've seen that I've, there's been a lot of co-emperors that we didn't sure. actually talk about, but we'll put Hostilian on here too, son of Decius. So how long will Gallus last? Gallus is going to last a good old, a good old five years. Five years? Oh, five years. Wait, no, he was right at the front of the Gothic fighting, huh? But he's got to go back to Rome, I'm sure. Yeah, I'm going to give him five years. Okay, how will he die? He's going to die fighting the Goths again, unfortunately. They're going to go back out there. Good, good, good. And then Hostilian. Hostilian's going to unfortunately die by an accident in like a year and a half. 1.5 years. So that that Valerian's son Caesar will be the co-emperor instead. Great. It's going to be tragic. It's going to be tragic. It will. Everyone will be very sad about it. 100%. All right, good. Okay. (laughs) So, Hostilian became emperor alongside Decius in June of 251 CE, and by July of 251 CE, he was dead. Wow, that was quick. (laughs) I gave him some some credit. I was like, okay, he's not going to do it immediately. He's going to give it some time, you know, make it look good. Yeah, just like, no, no, we were were bros. I don't know what happened to him. Okay, yeah. So, man. Predominant theory from Aurelius Victor is that he actually died from the plague. That's unfortunate. <laughs> yeah. Some say poison. Because right after, obviously, Accident. Gallus's son became co-emperor. <laughs> That's Well, I was right about that. Yeah. Yeah. 
So there's that. Now this plague that may have killed Hostilian is actually a thing. And it was going to be a problem for Gallus's reign. Plagues usually are. Yeah. Now Gallus, like you said, was out fighting the Goths. So he quickly made a peace with them Mm -hmm. so that he could do what you're supposed to do and go back to Rome. Rome. (laughs) Yeah. And this was annoying because he allowed them to keep the wealth they had plundered oh. and all the Roman prisoners they had taken. Oh. Which isn't good. Yeah. On top of that, he promised yearly payments to keep them away. And I'm sure that will last a very long time. Yeah, like about a year, maybe. Anyway. Before they even get their next <laughs> payment. They're like, ah, I'm bored. I would rather <laughs> just, you know, you guys are really weak. I, I can just take it. I can see yeah. it. I'm going to take it. <laughs> Once that was settled, he rushed back to Rome, where the plague was in full swing. He earned the love and respect of the people by doing all he could to help those affected and even providing proper burial service for the lowliest plebs of the city. But nothing was going to go well for poor Gallus. Our old friend in the East, Shapur I, decided it was the perfect time to invade the empire again. I knew it was coming. And he was right. He quickly overpowered the Eastern legions and soon had full control of Syria, along with Antioch, which was considered the third city of the empire at this time. This wasn't good. As we should now expect, the Goths, under King Caniva, which is a dope name, also broke their agreement and once again crossed the Danube. (laughs) I, for one, am completely (laughs) shocked by this development. They started wreaking havoc. Fortunately, the guy who replaced Gallus as governor of Upper Moesia, Aemilius Aemilianus, was quickly able to defeat the Goths and send them packing. And since I mentioned his name, I'm sure you know where this is going. <laughs> I'm the emperor now. <laughs> <laughs> the crisis is defined mostly by governors and generals winning a major victory and immediately being declared emperor by the troops. And so it was with Aemilianus. Gallus and his son, who I said was now co-emperor since Hostilian's death, Mm -hmm. began their march from Rome to meet the oncoming usurper's army and then hopefully also continue east to go fight Shapur. He also called Valerian, who was up in the Rhine region at this time, to come assist him. And Valerian immediately headed out. But Valerian would not arrive in time. Emilianus marched quickly, so quickly that Gallus was taken by surprise before he even left Italy. Oh, wow. Yeah. It is unclear what actually happened during this fight, as it is with most things in the crisis, or if there even was a fight. Either Gallus and his men lost, and then the men killed him, mm-hmm. or the troops defected and killed him and his son before, before the battle the began. Mm. Either way, Gallus had reigned just a couple months more than two years. Darn. Now it was Emilianus's turn to write this sinking ship. Oh, my God. Everyone's turn to... to yeah. I don't understand. Yeah. So, Emilianus, how long? A year. One year. And how's he going to die? Fighting the Persians, because he's got to now go stop that. Fighting Persians. It's gonna be a, that's going to be a, a theme for a while. <laughs> how did that emperor die? Fighting the Persians. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> so, Emilianus, as he marched in, had been declared an enemy of the state by Gallus in the Senate. Sure. But after his victory, he declared that he wasn't trying to be emperor. Okay. He was going to be the head general and go sort out the Goths and the Persians and then relinquish power. That's what he wanted. That's what he said he wanted. No. The Senate, who was unable to mount any meaningful resistance, they just kind of acquiesced and granted him the imperial titles. But none of that really mattered because who was currently marching south to avenge Gallus? Valerian. 
That's right. Or Valerius, whatever his Valerius name Valerius was on the move. And you will be completely shocked to learn that his men had already declared him emperor. I, yeah, I for one could not imagine that <gasps> happening. <laughs> Most were not happy with Emilianus and his men soon killed him to avoid the civil war oh my God. <laughs> with the larger force led by Valerian. <laughs> the writer Eutropius had this to say about Emilianus. Quote, Emilianus came from an extremely insignificant family. His reign was even more insignificant, and he was slain in the third month. Ah, yes. He had ruled for about 88 days. Yeah. The Senate then declared damnation memoria against him, damning oh. his memory, memory for all time. Wow. Yeah. That's really bad for him. Yes. <laughs> he did not. It did not work out for him. It's like you could have beat the Goths and then been like, hey, Gallus, or who was it? Yeah, Gallus, let's just... Let's just go beat the Persians together, and I won't be I won't be emperor. Yeah, or just send him a note being, "Hey, man, yeah, uh, I want to go be the head general of fighting the Persians." Yeah, <laughs> can I do that, please? So, there you have it. Oh my God, we have traversed the beginning of the crisis of the third century. That's crazy. It is not done, nor are we at rock bottom yet. No, well, no. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, as I mentioned earlier, Valerian is a notable emperor worth diving into. So we will not gloss over his reign like the others. And in fact, we will probably be doing he and his son at the same time. Oh, okay. I haven't decided, but with the kind of sparse information, it might be a normal length episode to cover them both because okay. they both rule okay. together. To give a little more context about just how tumultuous this time period was, I wanted to take a look at the previous two centuries of the empire and how many emperors there mm -hmm. were. Mm -hmm. So Augustus began his reign approximately 27 BCE and died in 14 CE. Mm -hmm. So he will count as our first first century emperor. Then we had Tiberius, Caligula, Claudius, and Nero before the year of the four emperors, which was Galba, Otho, Vitellius, and then Vespasian. His son Titus didn't live very long, and mm -hmm. then his other son Domitian took over before the century was rounded out by the short-lived Nerva. Now, since Augustus ruled for a couple decades prior to the first century, we had 12 emperors in about 120 years. And That's if, pretty good. Yeah. And if we exclude those losers of the year of the four emperors, we had nine. Yeah. Which is, that's long continuity of government. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Into the second century we go. Trajan did start his reign in 98 CE, but most of it was second century. So mm -hmm. we'll just count him in there. He was followed by Hadrian, Antoninus Pius, Marcus Aurelius, who co-ruled with Lucius Verus, and they completed the Golden Age. Next came Commodus, and the problems of the empire yeah. began. <laughs> and then we had the short-lived Pertinax and Didius Julianus, our boy. Yeah. And finally, Septimius Severus, whose reign was split about half between 2nd and 3rd century, so we'll count them in both. That means that the 2nd century had nine emperors, seven if you exclude the losers of the year of the five emperors. Because two of them, that's a misnomer. There was right. really so brief, not yeah. really. Yeah. And two of them were just usurpers who never really were emperor. So that's crazy. But mm -hmm. that's where you can see the golden age because we had long reigns yeah. of steady mm -hmm. rule. Now we are in the third century where it's a bit more difficult determining who was an emperor. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But if we count everyone who held power and every son who was named co-emperor, we're looking at about 36 emperors nice and that's a ridiculous number Let's get it going for a time for such a short time period and hence 
the crisis of the third yeah, century. I can't imagine why there's just chaos everywhere and it can't really seem to get any traction it's to like, stability. Can we stop trying to overthrow the guy who's doing all right? Like, yeah, right, for real. Can you just support him? I don't know. Like, this would be really great if you just stopped usurping. Okay, so that pretty much wraps it up. How do you think our boy Valerian and his son Gallienus are going to do next time? Better than the last 34 Maybe. emperors we just talked about. <laughs> Wait, no, 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 no. We're in the middle of that number. Oh. Yeah, we're oh. still in. Yeah, that's... Okay. I, just, I didn't want to tell you the so names. Then better, then better than the last, like, what did we cover? eight or 12. So we had Alexander, Thrax, Gordian 1 and 2, Balbinus Pupianus, Gordian 3, Philippus, Decius, Gallus, Hostilian, Emilianus, and then a few of their sons. So today we covered... Like 16? Yeah. Well, he's going to do better than them. Yeah, going to do a little better than those guys. He's going to reign for like 9 to 12 years. A, a little longer. Yeah. 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 All right. Well, thank you guys so much for listening. This has been absolutely wonderful. Um, I'll try and get episodes out quicker than I have, but you know me. Life. Life and stuff, you know. All right. Bye.